Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. Great, good morning everyone. It is fabulous to be here. I love this venue. Absolutely great, isn't it? It's the first time I've been here and... uh, it's, uh, it's great to be here in the morning, so I don't keep saying morning when it's the afternoon. <laughs> um, but if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to look at a, a famous story that happened to Moses, but it's something that God really put on my heart, um, not just for this place, but uh, in a couple of weeks, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be sharing this same message. Because the reality is this, the greatest need in your life If you're following Jesus this morning, if you're not yet, it is to give your life to Jesus and receive grace and forgiveness. But if you're a Christian here this morning, the greatest need in your life is the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. You see, to be a Christian isn't simply to be saved. It's to come into a living relationship with a living God. And God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. But he loves to show up somewhere in a wonderful way. And that's what the manifest presence of God is, is that God doesn't suddenly turn up where he wasn't, but there are moments where he manifests the reality that he's there, and in those moments, incredible things happen. And I want us to consider these things uh, this morning. So Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to start reading at verse 7, and uh, we'll read through to verse uh, 23. Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For, I found fav- for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. 
And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and where my, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray again. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for being you. I thank you. You're not a fairy tale. You're not made up. We're not wasting our time. Thank you. You are alive. You are holy. You are perfect. You're more glorious than any person in this room. You are infinitely passionate about every person in this room. And Holy Spirit, I pray, come now, please. We welcome you here this morning, God. Breathe life into this word that we're reading. Pray for every person in this room. You know where they're at. We can't blag it with you. We can't fake it with you. We can't spin it with you. You see us completely, and yet you love us eternally. And so, Holy Spirit, come and speak, Lord, please. I want to pray for people, especially in this room, that have been uh, Christians many years, but the fire has grown dim. I pray, Holy Spirit, for a flame to arise in this room again. Pray this location will be set on fire for Jesus. God, show us your glory this morning. Show me your glory this morning. We're hungry for you, Lord. We don't just want to read and hear. We want to feel. We want to taste and see the Lord is good. And only you can do that, Holy Spirit. And so God, come, please. Point us to Jesus. Show us afresh your glory, God. And may we leave it differently to the way we've walked in because we've seen you and felt you and experienced you, God, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what I want to do this morning is, is talk for about 25 minutes to half an hour, if that's okay. It's slightly longer than I was usually do, but I just feel this is important stuff, and I want to lay a foundation, and then I want us to wait on the Lord together. I want us to ask for God to do something magnificent in this place that will change our lives forever. And, it, and it's not a case of we live by feelings. We stand upon the book. We stand upon the objective truth. Whether you feel it or not this morning, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you are safe. You are loved. You are accepted. You are secure. But this morning, as I said, I want to talk about this manifest presence of God. This presence that the Holy Spirit moves and suddenly everything becomes more real, becomes more fresh, becomes more personal. And we've been saved to be deeply satisfied in God. That's why he saved you. He has saved you for you to come in and know him and to treasure him and to delight in him and to be deeply satisfied in him. That is the purpose of your salvation ultimately. And I want us to stir up and provoke in you this morning a passion for more of God. I don't care how much of the Bible you think you know. If you're not living it, if you're not running into it, then information is pointless. This morning, I want to stir up a passion for the more of God. So I'm going to get excited, and I hope you guys will join with me as we get excited together, because Jesus is here. His Spirit is with us, and he comes and he fills us individually, and he fills us corporately as a church. And the presence of God transforms everything. It transforms us individually. 
Suddenly reading the Bible doesn't become monotonous or a habit or something that we have to do. It is a joy. It is an excitement. It's an intimacy with the Holy Spirit that as we meet the Lord in his word, we fall more in love with him and we hear him speak and direct us in our lives. That's what happens when the presence of God comes. Sung worship takes a whole new dynamic to us. We just love to worship God on our own as well. Prayer is just exciting. It is, it is something that isn't just that we have to do as a religious duty, but something it's relational. And it's like, why wouldn't I want to spend time with Jesus? I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing this because I want to, and I want to draw near to him. Our lives are totally changed. We live with and for Jesus. We trust him. We obey him, not out of a sense of duty but out of a sense of love we adore him and this is what walking with Jesus is like he is magnificent he is majestic he is glorious he is infinitely greater than you can even begin to imagine or ask that's King Jesus and when the Holy Spirit falls afresh upon us for want of a better phrase because he's already in us but when he rises up in us suddenly everything becomes more real And there are times in our life when we can become dry and stale. And that's why Paul tells the Ephesians, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not that we ever lose the Holy Spirit because he'll never leave us. But there is a sense where we can become spiritually dry and we need the presence of God to freshen us up again. The presence of God transformed local churches too. And I know you know this, but I just want to stir up and encourage us this morning. When the Holy Spirit moves... Oh, it is something glorious, isn't it? Yeah. Suddenly when, when the preach is happening, you're not bored or waiting for it to be finished to have your coffee. Suddenly you hear God speak into your heart and you long for more of him. One of my heroes, Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said this, I can forgive a preacher almost anything as long as he brings down the presence of God. And I want to encourage us in this location to say, God, when, I, when the person is preaching your word, I want to meet with you. I want to be as open to the Holy Spirit in the preach as I am in the worship time. So God, come, shake up my world, challenge me, convict me, make me more like you. Suddenly when the Holy Spirit comes, the sung worship is, is transformed. It's not, Christian, oh, it's not Christian karaoke. It suddenly becomes an intimacy with the king. And you adore him. And you're not just singing things about him, but you're singing to him. It transforms it. Suddenly, you see signs and wonders as as commonplace, where things happen that that point us to King Jesus. Not not for for them, them in themselves, but signs and wonders and miracles are all about pointed people to surrender their lives to Jesus. That's what happens when the presence of God comes. And when people come who don't yet know Jesus... And the presence of God is there. It's a time to introduce them to the king. We need the presence of God more than anything else in this location. And I want to stir that up in us this morning. Is that okay? And the context for Exodus 33, and I've already gone for six minutes, which is really bonkers because I thought it was going to take 30 seconds. Lord, pause time. (laughs) The context of Exodus 33 is this. God's people have been in slavery for for over 150 years, totally lost hope, totally um, sort of given up any hope in a sense. And they've begun to cry out to God and God raised up a deliverer called Moses. And Moses came and he, he led God's people out of Egypt. They crossed over the Red Sea. 
And, and then they, they come to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And as Moses is up Mount Sinai, hearing God's heartbeat for his people, or how he wants to live with and for them, this people that have experienced so much of God's grace and love stick two fingers up to him and reject him completely, build a golden calf and worship that instead. And as Moses comes down, God is furious with his people. And he says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to wipe out all these people and start again through you. And Moses pleads with him, don't do this. Please, for your namesake, don't do this. And so God relents. And at the start of Exodus 33, this is the context. God is furious with the people that have totally rejected him. And Moses is standing in the gap in a sense. And the difference was this. Moses hungered after God. And I want to just unpack that this morning. You see, he refused to give up. He refused to say, okay, that's the way it is. I want more of God. I want you to know you more, God, in this moment. He was sold out for God's glory. He longed for the presence of God more than anything else. And what we see in this passage is that God is after a people who want his presence above everything else. And we're going to look at four lessons, four things that you and I need to learn from this passage that if we call ourselves Christians this morning, this is a lesson the Lord wants to put into your life so we can run after the presence of God more in our lives. Four things. The first thing is this. Moses pitched the tent. <laughs> Very simple. Verse 7. Moses knew exactly where he could meet with God. So we read in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. So here's Moses, he pitches the tent, he knows that's where God is going to meet him. And the first lesson for us, if we're going to people who enjoy the presence of God, is that we know, need to know where we can meet with God. We need to know where the tent needs to be pitched. And the Bible is clear, that tent is Jesus. The only way you can enter into this intimate, personal glorious relationship with the holy god is through jesus christ the writer to the hebrews says this therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of jesus it says the only place of confidence before god is through the blood of christ that he shed for you on the cross on that cross he took your sin your shame the punishment for that sin the wrath of the father against that sin was laid fully upon jesus and he died for you and he cried out it is finished paid for in full Everything that, and that deserves a few more smiles. Everything that disconnects you from enjoying this relationship with God has dealt with, been dealt with in Jesus. And by trusting that your personal sin and saying, Jesus, forgive me, and I give you my life, the moment we do that, we're eternally forgiven. We become new creations. We're filled with the Holy Spirit the moment we become saved. It is all about grace. All of this is about grace. The only way we can enjoy the Father's presence is by pitching the tent in the right place. And the tent has a name, and his name is Jesus. It is all about grace. Philip Yancey puts it this way. Grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. Nothing I can do to make God love me less. It means that I, even I, who deserve the opposite, am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. He pitched the tent. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're so welcome here. But this is your starting point. 
And maybe if you call yourself a Christian and actually you've drifted away from the cross and you think you've grown up, you don't ever grow out of the cross. You don't ever move away from the cross. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how great things you've done for Jesus. It doesn't mean anything if you're not clinging to the cross of Christ. And that is the only ground of confidence before him. And that liberates us because there's equal ground before the cross. And that's why I love this so much. So we pitch our tent. Second lesson, Moses personally met with God, verses 8 to 13. He intentionally, consistently spent time personally enjoying God's presence. There was a, a pattern to his life. He regularly took time out to pitch the tent and meet with God. So we see in verse 9, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And this wonderful verse, I think it's verse 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend wow just just again allow the enormity of that the holy sovereign creator god who flung the stars into space and knows each by name he who is infinitely holy has this intimate relationship with a broken man called moses and that is what the lord wants to have with me and with you it's what it means to walk with God. That through Christ, we're forgiven, absolutely. But through Christ, we come into this personal relationship that isn't secondhand. You don't need a man of God or a woman of God. You don't need a vicar. You don't need a priest. You don't need other people. You just need Jesus. And you walk through Jesus in a sense. And you come into this intimate relationship with God. But it involves carving out time. So I just want to provoke you. If your love for God was spelled T-I-M-E, how much do you love him? How much time do you spend with him? I don't care how passionate you appear on a Sunday morning. If Monday to Saturday, you're not just as passionate about meeting with him individually, then you're not being a hypocrite, but it's not quite as full on as you're giving the impression, is it? (laughs) I'm speaking to myself as much as for you. And we need to carve out time. And what Moses did, he reminded God of his word. You said this to me. And when we carve out time, we need to swim in this book. We we swim in this. We remind God of his word. We stand upon his word. And Moses reminded God of his word in these moments of intimacy. And then he was brutally honest with God. He says, God, you've said this in my life, but it doesn't appear to be the case. He doesn't, he doesn't have religious jargon. He doesn't put a positive spin on it, but his heart was breaking. He was real with God in these moments. And he met with him regularly. So the people knew when that tent was pitched, God was going to meet with Moses. And so I ask you this morning, how regularly are we carving out time on our own with Jesus? And Moses met regularly with him. Lesson number three, and the last two are going to be slightly longer, but these are the two that I really felt was important. This is what I felt was for this location and for Grantham as well. Moses prioritized God's presence. He refused to allow anything or anyone else to be more supreme in his life than God. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't got your Bible here, firstly, bring your Bible to church. Come on. Let's take notes. Let's swim in the word together. And, 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 and you might have in your phone, which is fab. That's great. 
but engage with the word of God when someone's speaking. Because what they might be saying is completely wrong. And how are you going to know unless you've got the word of God in front of you? Not you're trying to trip them up, but you know what I mean. God prioritized God's presence. And this is the context of what is being said here. You see, the context of Exodus 33, in the first three verses, this is what God says to Moses. Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, quite a fewites, and go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The context is this. Moses is being, given, is being offered everything he ever prayed for, but he wouldn't have God. This is what God is saying to Moses in effect. Moses, I will give you what I have promised you. I will send an angel who will give you certain victory against every army that come against you. It's a done deal. I'll give you the most incredible, fantastic place to live in, which will provide for all your needs. You'll have an abundance of material things. You'll have a land to call your own. You'll live happily ever after. Everyone will celebrate you as a leader because you've done it. Oh, but just one thing, Moses. I'll not be with you as my people, as your loving God. I'll not walk with this people anymore. You can have everything you need in life, but you won't have me. And I want to just let that sink into our hearts this morning. Because none of it was wrong of what God was offering. But the challenge is, are we looking for the blessing more than the blesser? And so let me just share a few thoughts. And this, just, can we just be courageously honest this morning? Is this okay? What if God was saying to you this morning, I'll heal you of that cancer but you'll not have me. I'll restore your marriage, bring reconciliation to your family, but you will not have me. I'm not saying God is saying this, so please don't mishear me. I'm just trying to make a point here. I'll sort out your finances once and for all, but you won't have me. I'll give you children, but you won't have me. I'll prosper your business, make it huge and international, but you won't have me. I'll make a live Newark a location of a thousand people, with a brand new state-of-the-art building, with fantastic facilities, but you won't have me. I'll give you an international ministry with best-selling books, but you won't have me. This is what's being offered to Moses in Exodus 33. I'll give you exactly what you've been longing for, but you won't have me. Do you see how massive this is? And there were two massive pressures, I think, on Moses at this time that could easily have led him to saying, yes, God, I'm going to take that up. The first pressure was this, the pressures of leadership and just walking in a fallen world. You read the story and and Moses being in leadership, as Christian leadership is, sorry to blow the bubble, burst the bubble if you're not aware of this, but it sucks at times. And people are a pain in the bottom at times. And as a leader, you're a pain in the bum too, because none of us are perfect. (laughs) But Moses experienced the pressures of leadership to the point where he led the people out of slavery. And they start to grumble and moan almost instantly. And God supernaturally provides for them manna. And then they walk a few days where they don't have water. And they get to the point where they turn on Moses, where Moses fears they're even going to kill him. 
That's how grateful these people were that he'd led out of Egypt. And he cries out to God, help me. And God makes him strike the rock. Remember that story with the stick and water flows out of it? And then they go to Mount Sinai. Moses must have thought, yes, this is it. Come on, God. Great. Let's hear your heartbeat. Let's run into your purposes. He's got these two tablets. He must have thought, wow, this is awesome. This is it. And he walks down. And a guy that he'd been doing ministry with called Aaron had totally rejected God's heart and had caused the people and allowed the people to lead him and them away from God. And we see in that story, in that moment, Moses is furious and he throws the stone tablets down. And I'm just being real this morning. And if you're not in leadership, pray for the leaders in this this location because there are pressures in leadership. And he, can you imagine the disappointment that Aaron must have felt? I mean, that Moses must have felt. He'd done so much for this people. He'd given up living in a palace for this cause. And they're so ungrateful that they've made this golden calf and are worshipping that instead of all that he shared with them. And God is saying, Moses, you don't have to do leadership anymore. I'll lead the people there. You can just look after yourself. I would be lying if there are moments in church leadership where we're like, oh, Lord, that would be amazing. <laughs> I'm just being real. Yeah. And in the moments of pressures of leadership, I think it would have been so easy for Moses to have said, okay, God, I want that, please. There are times in leadership where the cost seems too great. The price is too much. The sacrifice is too heavy. The weight of disappointment at times can be suffocating. Dealing with broken people will at times always lead to a broken heart. It's just part of the course. We live in a fallen world. None of us are perfect. We can be overwhelmed by a sense of feeling totally let down. And in these moments, there's a huge pressure to stop pursuing more of God. Have I got until 10 2? Is that okay? Are you guys still with me? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. There's an incredible story with King David where he and his mighty men are off fighting. And I think the Philistines, it was, came to Ziklag, I think it was. And they basically destroy the town and take the women and the children away. And he, and he goes back to this town and the, this entire army of people that he's fought with turn against David. And in that moment, can you imagine how David must have felt? It was his fault, in a sense. He'd taken them to battle, and they'd returned, and all their families were gone. And what I find really interesting is this. David doesn't read the latest leadership manual. He doesn't even ask other people's advice. What we read is that David went and first strengthened himself in God. And the biggest need for you when the pressure is on is pursuing the presence of God. And that's what Moses did. But the second reason I think Moses could easily have said yes to this was that actually almost the opposite of pressure is success. And actually what can happen very subtly is actually the vision becomes greater than the love for Jesus. That The goal of what we're aiming for becomes more of a dominant issue in our hearts than the God that we're wanting to do it for. And there are times as a location, don't ever allow this to happen. And I'm just not saying this because I think this is happening. I'm just being real because it's happened in my life loads. 
where almost there's times where I'm so passionate about the vision of what I want God to do in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in Alive Grantham, in Alive as a whole, that, that we're praying for this location of 500 plus in Grantham. We're starting a second Sunday morning service in January. And, oh, it's awesome. It's exciting. It's scaring the life out of me. But, but it's amazing. And suddenly the thrill and the adventure of vision can actually take the place of the adoration of the king. And if you're a visionary, you've got to be careful for this. If you're talking more about what you want God to do in your life than you are with what Jesus has already done for you, then you're on dangerous ground. I get really concerned when I talk to people and all they talk about is what they want God to do rather than just talking about Jesus and what he's done. And what he's doing, of course it's important. There's nothing wrong with vision. We love vision. We love it. There's nothing wrong with vision. You hear what I'm saying? But we must make sure that vision does not take the place of intimacy with Jesus. If we're going to become more passionate about what we're wanting God to do, rather than who God is, we're in massive danger. God's presence is far more important and vital to me than his purpose. Just letting that one sink in a bit. <laughs> is the presence of God a priority in your life? I want to encourage you to, to come back this morning. It's not a judgment thing. It's just the fact of living in a fallen world with so much stuff happening that we can lose sight of the simplicity of drawing near to our Father in heaven. And Moses refused to cave in to the pressures of life And he committed to prioritizing the presence of God. And he said, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? Wow. He said, I don't want to go if you're not coming. What's the point of us going without you there? The only reason we're different from anyone else on this planet is the presence of God. And we need to allow that to sink in this morning. What is the point of doing this if you're not with us, Moses is saying. And so I encourage you, don't relegate the presence of God below anything else in this location. You can have the greatest lights, the greatest music, the greatest communication, the greatest welcome, the greatest coffee, the greatest ambiance. You can have great times, but unless the presence of God is here, nothing is going to happen of eternal worth. You can have a church of one, two, three, four thousand, and all it is is a show. And lives aren't changed. No one's walking with Jesus. No one's falling more in love with him, surrendering to him, being discipled in him. I'm not saying that's happening here at all. Please don't mishear me. But it could. It could happen in Grantham. And we've got to be aware of this this morning. Are we prioritizing the presence of God? And then the fourth thing is, are you guys still with me? I know this is meant to be an encouragement, by the way. You're looking like, whoa, he's giving us a bit of stick. Oh, this is an encouragement. Because Moses passionately pursued more of God. And I just read this story, and I'm really struck because, in a sense, God has already done what Moses wanted him to do. God has already said, okay, Moses, I'm now going to go with you. I'm now going to go with the people. But Moses cheekily then asks, now please show me your glory. It's an additional request. He isn't saying, okay, I I I want you to come with us. 
Now show me your glory. It's an additional thing. He's saying, I want your presence to go with us. And God says, yes. And then Moses says, now show me your glory. And what I understand is happening there is this. Moses has heard the word of God, but he needs to experience the God of the word. In this moment, he knew it was going to take faith to step into the new thing with the Lord. And in this moment, he's saying, God, I've heard your promises. I'm trusting your promises. But please draw near to me. Let me see who you are. So my confidence in those promises will rise up. John Piper puts it this way. For Moses to have assurance that God would actually be this gracious to Israel, he needed to see some basis in God and not in himself or the people. He needed to glimpse into the nature of God. He needed to see afresh the goodness and the grace of God. In this terrifying moment, the glory of God passes by Moses. I find this intriguing. He'd spent many times with the Lord in his presence, speaking to him face to face. But there was something about the presence of God in that moment that was far beyond anything he'd ever experienced. And as God passed him by, he heard or saw his goodness. He heard his name being declared. He was reminded of his sovereign, outrageous grace. His, his overwhelming mercy. But then he also experienced the otherness of a holy God. And this is something that is so needed in the church in the UK, is the fear of the Lord. When you experience something, because God couldn't show Moses his face in that moment, because he would have just blown up. Such was the power and holiness of God that he could just see his back for a glimpse. And when you've experienced the presence of God in this way, your life's never the same again. You stop playing games with God. You stop treating him like a little genie that you just want his advice and then you'll give it or take it, you're not sure. He starts becoming like a Tesco cashier who you just bring your shopping list to. Becomes a sovereign king who in reverence and awe, you bow the knee and say, everything is yours, God. I'm here just to one with you. There have been times in my life, I'm going to come to land really quickly. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. There's just, I want to experience this so much more in my life. But there are moments that I can just count of just a few times where I've experienced something of what we're looking at, nowhere near to what Moses went through. But there was a time where a couple of years ago now we had a guy over from Poland who came to, to speak and he did a Saturday night thing. We've got quite a big Polish community in uh, Grantham and so we're trying to pioneer into that. And he did a Polish service and then Sunday morning he preached. And I can only say um, the glory of God fell upon that building, upon that room. To the point where at the end he said anyone who's hungry for more of God probably around 200 people rushed forward and then I'm real I'm really conscious of time which is why I'm keep looking at the clock and I was really conscious that all our kids were out all the kids leaves looking after them and it was probably around 20 to 12 we finished at 12 but for 40 minutes we simply just stood or knelt or wept as we were encountering something of the holiness of a God who was far bigger than we can begin to imagine. 
And about 20 past 12, I got up to try and bring it to a formal close. I was so conscious of the kids' workers that I got up, and I'm a very reserved man. I, I hate, hate being forced into anything. I don't fake anything. You know, I just smell fakery a mile off. But in that moment, I got up and held the mic to say, okay, we're going to be a formal close. And something of the weight of God's glory fell upon me that I just fell to my knees. And all I could do was just cry out in tongues. And in that moment, I can honestly say I was fearful of a holy God because God was infinite in that moment for me. And it's transformed our worship in Grantham, I would suggest. Over the last two years, there's far more adoration and intimacy and reverence and a longing for the pursuit of of more of God in his presence in worship. And I just pray, and it doesn't have to happen this morning, but in our regular times with Jesus, may the glory of God come. May it fall upon us. So I want to ask us, are we personally corporately, passionately pursuing the presence of God. When I ask you, when you gather in the morning like this, do you come with an expectation that God is here? He is going to manifest his presence. I do. Every Sunday, I know God is there. I know he's going to do something. I know he's going to work. Even if other people's faces look bored, I know he's at work in their hearts, even if their faces hasn't quite got caught up yet. That is the God we're loving and walking with. And when a group of people, gloriously held together by grace, come with an expectation of a holy God manifesting his presence, then anything can happen in this room. And I just want to encourage you, come expecting God to show up. This is the kind of church we want in a life. One of our core values is supernatural. A church where people come and know that God is here. And so, friends, let's pitch the tent. Let's intentionally and consistently take time to personally meet with God. Let's throw off anything that's slowing us down and make God's presence a priority in our lives. And let's passionately pursue more of God. Should we stand? That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.